Uh, today we're in John 18, 12 through 27. And that song during the offering, uh, it was nice to have the words up there. A very appropriate pre-sermon prayer, especially for this particular message. When we pray for God's help, he answers. He answered capital A by sending Jesus to be our Savior. And in the message today, uh, we're going to be seeing as Jesus gets closer to accomplishing salvation on the cross, in the resurrection, how he had unflinching devotion to his work, to what God has called him to. That's what we're going to see especially this morning John 18, 12 through 27 is our scripture reading. Just before this, it says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. This happened in the garden where Judas betrayed. That was the passage before this. We were there last Sunday night. And it continues, They bound Jesus and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one, as we had read a few weeks ago, who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. It's interesting that he says, ask those who heard me here. He doesn't say, bring in the lame, bring in the blind. He's talking about his word. Ask those who heard my voice. 22, when Jesus said this, One of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I had said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him, still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So far, God's word this morning. The setting is Ohio State University a number of years ago. In a huge lecture hall with about a thousand students taking a calculus final. That in itself sounds terrible to me. I'm not very mathematical. This particular calculus teacher wasn't very well liked. He was one of those guys who would stand in front of the class and yell out how much time was remaining before the end of the test on a regular basis. 
Well, since he was busy sort of gallivanting around the room making sure that nobody was cheating and that everyone was very aware of how much time they had left, he had the students stack the completed tests on uh, the huge podium that was in the front of the lecture hall. And this made for quite a mess because you remember there were a thousand students in the class. During this particular final, one guy entered the test needing a decent grade to pass. The only problem with calculus for him was that he did very poorly when rushed. And this guy, professor, standing in the front of the room, barking out how much time was left before everything needed to be handed in, did not help him at all. He wanted to assure himself of a good grade, and, and so he hardly flinched when the professor said, put down your pencils, submit your test, put them in the pile in the front of the room. Five minutes turned to 10, turned to 20, to 40. Almost an hour after the test was officially over, our, our friend here finally put down his pencil. He gathered up his work. He headed to the front of the, the class to submit his final. The whole time, the professor was, was waiting there in front of the room, strangely waiting for the, the guy to complete his test. And, and when he came up, the professor asked, what do you think you're doing? As he was up there waiting uh, to put down his exam on the pile of neatly stacked exams, which the professor in the meantime had plenty of time to, to do. It was clear that the professor was waiting around just to give the guy a hard time. Well, I'm turning in my exam, the student confidently retorted. I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, the professor gloated. Your exam is an hour late. You have failed. And consequently, I'll see you next term when you'll be repeating my course. The student smiled slyly at the professor and asked, Do you know who I am? What? replied the professor gruffly, annoyed that this student was showing no sign of emotion or remorse. The the student rephrased the question kind of mockingly, do you know what my name is? No, snarled the professor. The student looked the professor dead in the eyes and said slowly, I didn't think so. And he lifted up one of the stacks halfway, shoved his test neatly in the center of the stack, let the stack fall, burying his test in the middle, turned around, and walked casually out of this huge lecture hall. Maybe an idea for someone. Our Bible text this morning tells us about a test of a different kind. Actually, a couple of tests. Peter is tested, and he fails his test miserably. Jesus is also in the process of being tested, and he passes the test. He sustains his trial here. Simon Peter, if you know the Gospels, was one of Jesus' closest disciples, kind of the lead guy. He denies Christ three times. And in between the telling of those denials, it's interesting, we don't just get one, two, three, the three denials. In between the telling, we have Annas questioning Jesus. Why does John divide up? the three denials with the focus on Jesus before Annas. I think it's to point us to our Savior. 
as fascinating as Peter's actions are, John really wants you and me to see Jesus. He wants to lift up Jesus and show us that while Peter wilts, Jesus stands firm and will stand firm all the way to the end, all the way to the cross. And and so this morning, we're going to talk about Peter. We're going to talk about how his weakness teaches us about our own weakness, but we're going to especially see Jesus unflinchingly devoted to the work that God had given him to do on this earth. And first of all, we see that Jesus displays here unwavering courage. Jesus displays unwavering courage. Peter, on the other hand, does not. At the beginning of our reading, Jesus is being taken from the garden where Judas betrayed him, and we're told he's first brought to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest. The high priest was the leader of the main ruling body of the Jews of that day called the Sanhedrin. Annas was a former high priest, but even in retirement, he has some clout because he's able to take Jesus in and question him before any official trials. There's going to be a a Caiaphas trial and then later Pilate, which we're going to read about tonight, actually. Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. If you, you want a clue on who that might be or or what we think about that, talk to me later. The short of it is, we do not know who that disciple was. But he knew the high priest, and he somehow was familiar with the high priest's home, because he was leading the way. And as the text goes on, we see that while Jesus has been arrested, while he's bound up, while he's being put on trial for his life, He shows unwavering courage, but Peter folds immediately at his first little test. Peter comes through the door, and what happens? Does Peter meet a burly guard who points a sword at his gut? No. Is he confronted with an armed soldier who holds a knife to his throat? No. Is he threatened with arrest? No. A girl asks him an innocent, non-threatening question. You are not one of his disciples, are you? A little girl, probably a servant girl. A servant had no say in anything. No one would have listened to her no matter what Peter said anyway. But Peter wills. I am not, he lies. And then you jump ahead to verses 25 and 27. Peter's asked two more times whether he's a disciple of Jesus. He denies it. And then in between this telling of Peter's spinelessness, John shows us Jesus. And I believe, like I said, Jesus is there to show us the contrast, the difference. Jesus is asked, first of all, this very general question about his disciples, about his teachings. And right there, we know something goofy is going on. That's not how you put someone on trial. If you arrest someone, you next display evidence, go into specifics. Nothing like that here. This is a kangaroo court. They've prejudged him as the Sanhedrin planned in chapter 11 
they're going to put him to death no matter what. They're going to trump up the charges. Jesus responds. He's struck in the face. It doesn't say whether he's hit with someone's hand or a rod, but I have a hunch it was a rod because that would be in fulfillment of Micah 5.1, which prophesies that Jesus would be struck in the face with a rod. He's hit with the rod. He doesn't crumble. He doesn't flinch. Possibly with blood running down his face, he gives a dignified, self-controlled response in verse 23. If I said something wrong, testify to what is wrong. If I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? While Peter shows no courage and crumbles surprisingly quickly under the slightest of pressure, Jesus displays unwavering courage in the face of a very dire situation. His life is on the line. This would just be guessing, but it's possible that Peter thought that because he was connected with Jesus, he would be arrested at some point and maybe brought to trial. And maybe he was planning to, to gird himself up for some special effort and stand strong. But his trial, Peter's test, turns out to be very different than that. The fact is, Peter's trial is over The rooster crows. It's over before he even knew that he was being tried. And and you know what? As I think about that, that's how most of the Christians' trials come. Don't you think? To you, to me, unexpectedly, in the midst of everyday life, they catch us unaware. We don't have the chance to even prepare Our trials come in the midst, suddenly, of a conversation with our husband or wife in how we'll respond in the moment at that stressful situation, in the middle of a business deal, a spur-of-the-moment decision on whether we'll follow our friends when they decide to engage in such-and-such activity, while waiting impatiently or maybe not so patiently in line at the grocery store. How do we do? Do we stand firm or do we wilt? Do we display courage in a spiritual battle or do we fold? Guys, when a a beautiful woman walks or runs by, will we move forward down the road or will we crumble and sneak that extra look, that second look that's one look too many? Will we fudge something that no one would ever notice on our tax return? Students, when an opportunity comes to glance at a neighbor's test so you can fill in that blank that you're just, it's not, you're not getting it, but if you could just take a peek at that answer, will, will you do it? Will you give in? Or will you unflinchingly stick to the narrow way of the Lord? How weak we are. As one person put it, the believer is as weak as water sometimes. What what would have happened if if Peter would have faced a real trial like Jesus? I, I bet under questioning, Peter would have sold the farm immediately. If he were standing in front of Annas 
he would have been trembling and shaking and sweating. I bet before the first question was out of the high priest's mouth, he would have said, I take it all back. I give up. Just, just let me go. And I think that's more like you and me. When you think of, of how easily we wilt, I, I wonder sometimes what we do if we were in a situation like some of our brothers and sisters in countries where the church is persecuted. What would happen if we were given a real trial? I'd like to think that we'd rise to the occasion and stand strong, but I wonder. I really wonder. Jesus stands strong. He's courageous. Peter was weak and gutless, and a lot of times you and I are too. What else do we see about Jesus as we move from the scene of Peter warming himself around the fire to Jesus standing before Annas? Well, we also see, secondly, this morning is that Jesus draws on an eternal strength, and this is how he stands. With Pastor Matthew last Sunday night, we saw that Jesus said in the garden, this is the beginning of chapter 18, just before the verses we read this morning, Jesus said in the garden to those coming to arrest him this. They said they were looking for Jesus, and he said twice, I am he. And really what we saw is this is the same I am as God uses to reveal himself to Moses. Back in Exodus at the burning bush. This is the ultimate divine name. I am who I am. That means I am, I will be, I was all at once. People in Jesus' day knew that this name referred to God himself. Because earlier in John, when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. They didn't let that go. They picked up stones to kill him. And that's because Jesus was calling himself God, who he is. But they didn't like that. They didn't want to hear it. Jesus was God. Jesus is God, and he always will be God. The second person of the Trinity, he with the Father and the Spirit, he has all the attributes of God. And it's out of that store of strength that Jesus can stand strong. And he will stand strong all the way to the cross. What does Peter say in his denials? He says exactly the opposite of what Jesus says in the garden. I am not. Jesus is the great I am. And Peter and you and I are the little I am not. He is holy. We are not. He is strong. We are weak. He is infinitely wise. We can be foolish. But we see finally, thankfully this morning, that out of the store of His divine strength, our Savior pours out His staying power on us. Because of our weakness is exactly why Jesus went to the cross for the Amnots, for those in need, for sinners, for failures, for weaklings, for you and for me. Verse 27 ends rather abruptly. We don't get here that Peter is sorry. We don't get that Peter realizes his mistake. 
Before we learn what happens to Peter, Jesus has some business to take care of that John wants us to focus on. He's going forward to the cross alone, without anyone's help, because though Peter was following Jesus and thought he could help Jesus out, he can't. Only Jesus can walk this road. Only Jesus can take the heat. Only Jesus can bear the load of sin. As verse 14 reminds us, he's going to die for the people. After the cross and resurrection, and because of this finished work of Jesus, Peter would be forgiven, he'd be restored We read about that beautiful scene of Jesus and Peter in chapter 21. He's reinstated as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. He's given a mission. He's sent. And at Pentecost, Jesus would send his spirit to fill all his people so that they would be filled with his divine strength so that we can stand firm day by day, and stay devoted and true to the cause of God. Peter, scared of a little girl's question here, he would become, through the power of God, a strong, steadfast leader in the early church because Jesus did forgive him and restore him and empower him. That same staying power is yours if you belong to Jesus. We have failed, we have fallen, but God is gracious to forgive. He strengthens his people to be steadfast in the cause of Jesus Christ. There is Holy Spirit power for you to withstand sin and temptation. You can fight it, you can win. There is Holy Spirit power to pass the trials of parenthood and raise little Noah to be a disciple of Jesus. There is Holy Spirit power to fill the church so that we're alive and excited about the mission of God. There is Holy Spirit power for the valleys of life in illness. And yes, even if we or a loved one must walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because of our Savior's unflinching devotion to God's cause, you and I can be strong and courageous. We can have access to an eternal strength and we can have the divine power poured out upon us. The finished work of Jesus brings us all of this, my friends. May you belong to him today. May you accept his finished work. The church is the gathering of those who are together, standing strong for the cause of Jesus. Faith Church has an important place in that cause. And I'm so excited that we get to share this message of Jesus, the steadfast one to the world, and that we can live out that message together, day by day, week by week, year by year, here in this great place.